0: I really do believe that practice and repetition is key for everything, right? Definitely English, but also creating and putting yourself out there and teaching yourself that you have permission to speak. Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work. I'm your host, Kedra
1: Kleinler, and yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard, but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Hadar Shemesh, welcome to Looks Like Work. I am so excited to have you here. I am so excited to finally be here.
0: <laughs>
1: I am such a fan of yours. We know each other through many mutual friends and some mutual communities on social media. But also I found that when I needed some Uh, Guidance, or just a sounding board, or you know, someone Mm -hmm. to consult with. You are such a huge help and such an amazing person, and I really admire you as a person and as a manager and and as a businesswoman. So, I can't wait to dive deeper into who you are and what you were working on and where all of these things intersect. So, for everyone tuning in, Hadar is the founder of The Accent Way, and she's an English communications coach. Uh, had Hadar, care to tell us what all this means, how you got to doing this? Did you ever think that this would be your uh, professional
0: description? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, no. Like if you were to ask me when I was, I don't know, at the age of 20 or even mm-hmm. 30, that was not what I had planned to become <laughs> uh, yet. I'm so incredibly grateful and happy that this is where I'm at now. And what I do, I help speakers of English as a second language communicate confidently and joyfully in English. So it's not so much about teaching them English, but helping them understand how they can communicate the English that they already know in a way that gets them what they want, in a way that does not compromise who they are and how they feel about themselves, and in a way that really helps them feel authentic no matter what language they speak. And I say all that because a lot of times we tend to feel less than when speaking in a second language, and my purpose or the work that I do is to help people how that should not prevent them from reaching their goals or you know, showing up fully as themselves in English as well. And, you know, sometimes it's just an adventure or just like a hobby for people to communicate in English. And that's amazing. And I still think that people should have all these tools. And sometimes it's a matter of survival for immigrants or for people working in global companies and having to communicate in English every day, having to face a lot of fears and challenges around communicating in English. And the reason why I never thought this would be my, my title or the work that I do is because <laughs> I, when I grew up, I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be an actress on Broadway in New York City. I moved to the U.S. when I was 20. I studied acting. And from the age of 20 until 30, that was my main goal, like to work as an actress. And things happened along the way that changed the course of my life. And here I am. Here I am today. And that's what also led you to even confront
1: that need, right? To sound a certain way or to pass as a native English speaker. Am I correct? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I had a lot of when it comes to how I sound in English. So when I moved to New York, I was very Israeli. I had a very distinct Israeli accent. I would, you know, say my name and people would immediately ask me where I'm from. And not just because of my name cuz I changed my name. I called myself Julia so people would not ask me where I'm from, yet they did because <laughs> that <they're- laughs> I did not sound like I'm from there and that drove me crazy. So I was obsessed with immersing myself in English and immersing myself in the culture. And kind of like l- not leaving any traces to my otherness, which right now, like I, I see the problem with that. And I do not encourage my students to do that. Yet that was where I was at the, at the age of 20. And then when I studied, started studying acting, it was also a matter of whether or not I would get the job, right? Because I had to have a certain accent to get certain roles. Which pool of jobs are you even applying to? Is it the uh, foreigner or
1: is it the bigger, shinier pool, and also competing with
0: people who have grown up there. Exactly. Right. So I did not want it to be my disadvantage. And I knew like back then, this was where I lived. Right. So for me, that was Mm -hmm. just like the only place to live. And I had to, I had to feel like I'm an equal. And this is why working on my pronunciation and my accent has become one of the, you know, the, the most important things that I've worked on. And I loved it. I enjoyed it so much, right? I studied different dialects and sounds. And not only that, like working on my pronunciation and my accent has given me this new sense of freedom in English. So it wasn't just about sounding like them. It was also about understanding how I can invest less energy and become more effortless Mm. in English. And that gave me new ways of like being in English, right? I found like a new personality in English. So I think that that is some of the things that I do today that have to do with that new sense of awareness and new sense of freedom that you gain when you... When you understand how to use the language effectively,
1: I think you touched upon a few different things that are so important, like each in its own merit. So, first of all, there's the sense of like, what, like, first of all, you can create kind of another version of yourself. So, you don't have to be like, you'll never be the same Hadar in Hebrew and English, right? And that's so frustrating. But once you stop. Trying to, there's a sense of freedom and recreating a new version of yourself that takes some things, like that has some things in common. And that could be very interesting to explore. But also, one of the things that you said, which was like really struck the nerve for me, and where I want to also acknowledge my privilege because I, I grew up between Israel and the US. I started speaking both English and Hebrew at the same very early age. I will say, and I listened yesterday to another podcast where you were interviewed. And it was really interesting because my English, though, like, I started speaking it from a very young age. I grew up in Israel speaking mostly Hebrew, and most of my English is from reading. And I still can feel it, like, in the speed, you know, in the cadence of my speech and stuff like that. But I do have an accent that is, you know, more reminiscent of, like, American English than a lot of my friends. And I think, and as you said in the beginning, for many people, it's a way to survive because... When you walk in the world speaking in a certain accent and you pass as, you know, someone from a certain place, it gives you different privileges beyond just like the the topic of authenticity, which is a super important one. And we spoke on another episode here about code switching and stuff like that. But it gives you like a place you, you can walk into a room and own it in a different way. And I've seen it a lot with Israeli entrepreneurs in the states, but of course in other areas of life with immigrants it's even it's even deeper
0: and even like more urgent. Have you have you seen that? 100%. And this is where it gets interesting and tricky because on on the one hand yes it gives you a lot of privilege. You have a lot of privilege when you walk into a room and you sound like what power sounds like, which mm-hmm. is standard English, right? Not even Southern English, we're not even, you know, New York English, but standard English in Hollywood, flat Hollywood, <laughs> yeah. right? The news, what we hear, yeah, of like from people who are in power. Or who are, re- like, who represent the We're culture. considered
1: the standard, that the, the thing you should strive exactly. for. Yeah.
0: Which is ridiculous because there is no standard, really, and everyone has a different accent and there yeah. are different voices and different Englishes and different grammars within English. So we yeah. need to understand yeah. that. But we are sold on this idea that there is one sound to English, especially in the English teaching industry, where there is, like, this is standard English, this is how you need to sound, and anything that is, that deviates from that is less intelligent, is less clear, which is really not realistic. And even on the borderline of sometimes even racist, cause like, right. you know, thinking of different accents always associates with who you are, where you're from, the color of your skin, your religion, And this is something that we need to keep in mind because the conversation about accents is a political and it's a social conversation and it's not just a linguistic conversation. For sure. And 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 by the way,
1: likewise for names, which you you kind of briefly mentioned
0: before. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like people with a certain name, like people would have opinions about you just by looking at your name. And And my name is
1: Chedva, and my son's name is Hanoch.
0: I like, I went and said like, hey, I have one, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and give it (laughs) to. Because one is just not enough. Like I need to make a statement here, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And I think that owning a new accent, owning, like being able to acquire a new accent is definitely a way of gaining power, but at the same time, It could also be very inhibiting because you always, because of the need to sound a certain way, you develop this perfectionism. And that's the killer of fluency. Because what's more important, Mm. how you sound or how you express yourself. That makes you second guess yourself and kind of stop on your tracks. Yeah. And always listening to yourself and always judging yourself or being careful about your pronunciation because you want to get it right. And then that compromises the flow of words your speed your velocity like all of that and your i confidence. think that, and 100% your confidence first of all your confidence perfectionism kills your confidence so that when when we're looking at those two things yes pronunciation is important but ultimately fluency and freedom self freedom self expression permission to speak that's much more important, but they tie together because if you don't work on your pronunciation, that affects your confidence as well. So right. what I do is I try to find the balance between giving you the tools to sound clear, yet having the right mindset and understanding that you don't need to sound a certain way to have power because you already have power by oh the fact God. that it's I you. Love this. Yeah. And and you communicate in a second language. I think like Feeling
1: understood is such a human need. It's just yeah. such a basic human being need, heard. right?
0: Being heard being heard, being,
1: being seen, being, heard. being understood. Yeah. And that really ties into what you said and like just being being able to be clear, right? Beyond beyond the accents. Yeah.
0: it's to be clear and to get your message across. A lot of times people are like, I want to say something. It's so clear. Like in Hebrew, Hebrew is my superpower. Words are my superpower. And then when I shift to English, I feel like that superpower is taken away from me. I hear it from all my students. I have students from all around the world, across the board. It's like, this is what people experience. And, and yes, like ultimately... We want to be able to communicate without second-guessing ourselves. Yeah, and you need to do the same thing with your hands tied behind your back, so to speak. Yeah, be- yeah. I remember, exactly. like,
1: growing up in, like, a bilingual house. And my, my, my mom and her, her siblings also grew up between Israel and the States. And they would just, you know, like many, many people, they have kind of their Heblish uh, language. Mm. where they'll, they'll just, like, speak mostly English, but they will pepper in words that you don't have in, in English, like Davka or mama, <laughs> or like things that are kind of they, they like put a stress on on, on the concept that you're yeah. trying to convey, and I think that's a lot of people miss that when they're they're yeah. kind of crossing between languages or, or, or cultures. Really,
0: would you say? So I have a question for you. Back sure. to one of the things that you mentioned earlier, would you say that when you communicate in English, you allow yourself different things than when you communicate in Hebrew? Oh, for sure. I curse only in English. Only in English.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and that's kind of yeah. my mom also only cursed in English. <laughs> 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 Growing up in a, r- a religious house, sometimes, like, I-, I think she didn't feel like it counted if it wasn't in English. You know, like, people say sometimes people, it's easier for them to say, I love you. In English, if English is their second language, because it doesn't feel as real yeah. as was in their first language,
0: they're less so vulnerable. Right? Yeah, less yeah. exposed. This is a big deal. Yes, right. It's like it's in, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. It's like uh, one of the things that I get asked a lot is, "Do you speak English to your daughters?" And I mm-hmm. s- like, and, and the answer is no, because I know this. Oh my could God, have we been have to talk about this. <gasps> yeah, why? So, When they were born, I was really debating. Right now they're eight and six. And now I'm starting to speak more English at home. And English is a big part of our life at work. And they kind of like imitate me starting my YouTube videos and stuff. But the reason why I did not start speaking to them, even though English is second nature to me, really. Like I feel very comfortable in English, but it's not deeply connected to Mm. my soul as Hebrew is. And I knew that if I were to say, I love you in Hebrew or Metukasheli in Hebrew, or my love, it would not feel the same. And I did not want to compromise how my voice is able to experience, like to express emotions by choosing a different language. Like I wanted that un filtered experience or unfiltered connection with the world. I am literally like, I have I have shivers right now. So mm. let me tell you why. So first of all, uh, my mom was
1: born in, in Israel and she moved to, like her parents and family, moved to Brooklyn uh, when she was nine. So she essentially grew up there. She didn't know, like, you know, when she went back to school when I was a kid, she had, it was hard for her to study in Hebrew because she didn't remember that experience. So she was very much American But she refused to speak to us in English at home. And she didn't really, she didn't really know how to explain it. She used to say it's not fair to your dad, for example. And my dad does, my dad, like, has, like, he he used to be a businessman. He's, like, very, he can't, like, it's hard for him to read and write in English. But he can carry out, like, a, a really great conversation and, like, kind of get along with anyone. Um, and then when my son was born and he's 15 and a half now, I also chose not to speak in English uh, at home using the very same kind of ideology or explanation. And then later on, he was very anti learning English. He really didn't want to. I thought when we took him on a vacation for like a family trip for a family wedding, the first time to like meet our extended family in the States when he was eight, I was sure he was going to like Say like now he really wants to understand, and he was like, "No, they they have family in Israel. They should speak Hebrew. Why should we accommodate them?" He was very, very anti that, and it only really switched a few years later. And then during uh, the first lockdown of COVID, like our kind of special mommy and time was reading Harry Potter in English together, and he started speaking in English, and he had. a you know, you know what, like, I grew up between the places and went every summer vacation to the States, and still I didn't have as much confidence speaking in English as much as he does. Amazing. And the interesting thing, going back to what he said, is that when he has something that he feels very vulnerable about, that he wants to share, you know, he's a teenager, he'll switch to English. It's so mm-hmm. interesting to me. And he will it's have so a complete, like, talks with me where like they're in Hebrew and then like once it gets like a little bit deeper a little bit more vulnerable he's like just seamlessly going to switch into English
0: which is first of all like what a smart kid and also was oh, the best they, what, what an incredible tool to have to be able to communicate right. like all these different layers and yes like yeah. ultimately we would want them to be able to talk about hard stuff in any language, right? Because I think it's important to be okay with feeling vulnerable and exposed, but to have that, you know, as, as a leverage or as a way to still communicate and not to keep quiet, I think it's incredible. So kudos to your son. But, <laughs> um, but that would also be interesting to ask for people listening to this, who are speakers of one language and they try to communicate in a second language, who want to feel or to sound vulnerable and expressive in their second language and yeah. then that becomes hard because there is this detachment and also trying to be safe and then right. we don't use pitch we don't use rhythm we don't allow our voice to kind of like we sometimes go really really low you know and just speak down <laughs> and or like, totally high. Yeah. right yeah. because again like we feel less connected to english and If we want to be effective communicators, I think it's also important to be able to express these emotions and using our voice to do that and giving ourselves permission to do that as well. Yeah.
1: So a quick question, like kind of going a little bit backwards. You have people coming to you and then saying like, listen, lady, I understand your ideology. I even appreciate it, but I want to sound like a white man from TV (laughs) in America Mm -hmm. because I need this. I, I know that will buy me certain privileges, and like, don't don't, right. don't don't
0: tell me about what I should be striving for and what's the right thing to do. This is a great question. So, two things I have to say about this. One, yes, it happens. It happens because I have students from around the world, and I can tell you specifically, it happened to me several times in the couple of years, especially since COVID, with Asian speakers living in the U.S. Asian, mm, uh, Asian yeah, descent, API, yeah who feel constant discrimination. They, they feel it every, yes, every single day. And they're like, I get what you're saying, but I'm constantly being discriminated and I need that to stop. And one of the ways, like they can't control other people's thoughts so they can control their own voice. But, but they're solving the symptom and not like they would still feel undervalued. They would still feel not enough. The question is like, how do how do we change... The real question is like, you need to change your mindset so you don't feel intimidated when people discriminate against you or speak negatively or you experience microaggressions. Like, how do you stay strong and how do you stay still knowing your worth, even when you're experiencing that outside of you? I think that is the solution and not just trying to blend in because racism will always rear its ugly head, you know, whenever it's possible. So it's not just about the linguistic aspect. and. And then I like, we do work on mindset a lot. Like, we like part of this work is to work on the mindset. So I say, I get it. Here are the tools because they definitely teach pronunciation, but Mm -hmm. this will not work unless you do the mindset work as well. It usually, when they go deep into the mindset work, because it's part of my training, they let go of that belief. Now, I'm a content creator, so I have a ton of content out, out there. And usually people who get to me, they already know my agenda. So I usually also attract people who are more aligned with my message rather than people who like, just try yeah. to get the, the so, hard so, so
1: right now in 2022, if they already got, got to you, they probably know kind of your mission and ideology and your methods.
0: Yes, and they're willing to be coachable. They're willing to kind of like to, to work on their mindset because I, I talk about it a lot. And I think this is the great part about creating content is that you attract the right people, but you also, you know, repel those who are not right for you.
1: Yeah, and, and that's okay. You don't need to be everything for everyone everywhere. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. So, uh, speaking about you as a content creator, you have a YouTube channel of over 600,000 subscribers, which is amazing and it's (laughs) day. When did you start
0: it? Well, I think the first video I posted was like in 2010 or something and then I forgot about it. I just posted Mm -hmm. something because I wanted to use it for a blog that I had in Hebrew. And then I had another like I recorded a video for an online course that I never ended up creating, and then I just put it on YouTube. I forgot about it. Then I think a year later I came back to it and I was like, I saw a bunch of comments, and uh, and I was like, oh, what is this? People are interested, and and had like one video had sixty thousand views, and I totally like I did not know. Wow, like oh, this is an interesting platform. And in 2015, when I was nine months pregnant, I made a commitment to start releasing a video every single week and start a newsletter. And I think my, like, knowing that I'm going to have a second child was an incentive because I've been wanting to do it for a while. And I knew that if I don't do it before she's born, I would never do it. So I, I posted my first video. I said, I'm going to be releasing a video every single week. So I held myself accountable by just making that statement. And that's it. From then on, I just kept releasing a video almost every single week. That is amazing. And there's so much to explore there, but I want to actually take it to
1: a, a maybe a little bit different direction than you might be expecting. And that's something that I also heard you uh, say, which is, and I think you also mentioned it here now in our conversation, which is having a permission to speak. And that I think is, as you said, very much something that your, you know, students and people who come to your business really are dealing with but also when you are kind of putting yourself out there maybe not with that first video when you were not expecting for anyone to watch it beyond you know the few tens or hundreds of people who you expected yeah it's also giving yourself permission to speak and i just to give it a bit of like my own context i'm someone who has been out there for years i was always Not always, but like since you know the early 2000s, I was a blogger. I was a journalist. I like speak uh, publicly for for once. I never thought I I would have problem with giving myself permissions to speak. But when I had to shut down my business in the beginning of COVID, I really found myself kind of second guessing myself and questioning like, do I have permission to speak? Who am yeah. I to speak? Maybe I shouldn't speak. You know, I, I recorded the first six, six episodes of this podcast starting November 2020, and I only started releasing them in February 2022 because I was kind mm-hmm. of holding myself back. And I know you have your background in acting, which might have m- maybe helped with it or maybe the opposite. I don't know. But I'm really curious to hear if you ever... Dealt with that thing of like putting yourself out there, uh, especially in your field. And before it was like kind of sexy to say like, "Hey, not everyone has to sound like a native um yeah. American speaker." As an expert who's Israeli, who maybe thought that he'll be doing other things, how did you give yourself permission to speak? And was it like a one-time thing that you dealt with in the beginning of your journey, or is it a continuous thing? Um, that you're still dealing with right now or in different kind of
0: stations of your life and career? So I love this question or reflection or insight, <laughs> whatever it is that you just shared. And I have a lot to say about this. The answer is yes and. So first of all, yes. Like I definitely struggled with this. I think every content creator, there is no content creator out there that is like now is like a prolific creator that has not dealt with that at some point. I really do believe that practice and repetition is key for everything, right? Definitely English, but also creating and putting yourself out there and teaching yourself that you have permission to speak. So when I first started creating videos online, I, you know, I'm a non-native speaker of English, but I was not talking about it. I was not... I was, in a way, hiding it, just like I n- named myself Julia when I just moved to the U.S. Like, when I started my YouTube channel, I started teaching pronunciation. But in a way, I was very, very rigid. I was very robotic. I was very, in a way, a perfectionist. Like, I, it had to be perfect. I had to do it in one take. I had to, like, you know, no mistakes. I think so
1: many of us can relate to to this right here.
0: Right. And, I like, that is so inhibiting. That is, like, it really is... The I I don't know really I'm I'm so stubborn and I think luckily this is why I'm here today. But other what star sign are you? (laughs) I'm Aries,
1: stubborn. Oh, I know nothing about Aries. Sorry,
0: (laughs) I'll take you you We're very like we're like if we want something we're gonna get it. So and and you know you like also the first few years or months of creating content, I would only see a few hundreds and I would not see a lot of growth, but I kept posting videos and, and, and yes, like I was so hard on myself and I also was on my own. I had, my my husband was assisting me with editing, but I, I did everything on my own, like the titles and everything. And a lot of times I would have typos and mistakes and stuff like that. And sometimes I'd be criticized and for me, it was such a failure right? Right. To to be criticized for this because who am I? The imposter syndrome. Who does she think she is teaching pronunciation? Not only that I'm a non-native speaker, I also make mistakes. So that was constantly the conversation. How dare you? How dare you? Exactly. And sometimes I would get comments as such. And that would just be like, oh, confirmation that like what I'm the worst thoughts I have about myself are true because other people are thinking that as well. Now, There was a point where I went through this transformation and also this, and also like I would teach people how to sound like a native, right? Literally that would be my title for my video because that was just like the the common knowledge. And for me back then, I realized that that's what people need. That's very easy to sell. That's very easy to sell. And working with people, like I noticed that even though they started to sound different and closer to American, at the same time their confidence hasn't improved they still felt mm. like you know they can't express themselves freely so i did like there was a, a transition in how i see my teachings but also how i show up online like how how i decide to bring myself to the conversation and there was one video that i created and i said i told my story and i said like i'm a non-native speaker I was petrified of making mistakes. I still am. But here I am making this video and I know that this is what matters. And from that moment on, I gave myself a lot more permission, deliberate really permission. to really put yourself out there. With mistakes. So I would make a mistake and I'd be like, I don't care. I'm going to post it anyway. So it was just like an ongoing process of allowing myself, because if I want to be prolific, I have to be okay with mediocre work. Now, my work is not mediocre. Like I'm always very conscious about like the quality of work that I'm creating. But still, even if it's not exactly how I had envisioned it, I would still put it out there because I was ready to move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah. And, and I, it's a question of volume. Like, do you want to like yeah. you know, to write the next great American novel, the one thing in your life that you're going to put out there? Or do you want to
0: constantly put it out to work? Right. And even to, great, to write that great one American novel, like you have to, whoever wrote that one, like those great novels... They've written so much before that. like th- Oh, stuff and that they beat we themselves reading. up and they had editors. So. Exactly. And a lot of writing time. A lot of, for me, it was a lot of speaking mm-hmm. time. Now, also, just by the fact of producing content and speaking on camera every week, I've improved. I've improved my confidence. I've improved my fluency. And... You know, just you asked me if I still experience it now. So, yeah, it was back then at the beginning. Then I started feeling more comfortable. You can also see it in my videos, my first few videos, the first year of my videos, year or two, I was not myself. And now Mm. you can see, like, I'm joking. I'm a lot freer. You were trying to be Julia. I was trying to be Julia, the teacher. And now I'm like, I'm totally Hadar. I try to bring my authentic self. And in 2020, I started my podcast, which now Mm -hmm. has over 1 million downloads. But back then, which I'm so grateful for, but I was almost kind of like, I I was so afraid of starting a podcast that I almost did not do it because I was just I totally understand. It's so fucking scary. Sorry. But like, it's so scary. (laughs) We're speaking English. We can curse. (laughs) Exactly. I have your permission to curse. Permission to curse granted. (laughs) <laughs> totally. no, but think about like, you know it because it's kind of like, it's just you and the microphone and you can make mistakes yeah. and you can kind of like, even though you can edit it, it's still like you want to have that flow.
1: I'll tell you and another that, thing, which yeah. I think is like very interesting. And I, I keep thinking about as we, as we speak. And You know, I always joke because and this is exactly I I just did a solo episode that we posted uh, the one before this one. And it was a lot about being comfortable in your own skin and how like I found myself putting like my childhood nickname on LinkedIn, which is Vivi because it's like easier to pronounce for Americans and many European. But also this really connects for me. Like I used to be so proud because as a design journalist, you know, I was a 20-year-old religious, very young mother, <laughs> living in a religious town with no TV at home, and I w- I was writing in the Israeli equivalent to like Cosmo magazine, in mm-hmm. the tone of voice Tel Avivian or New Yorker, young 20-something who's like, you know, professional, but then like doesn't, isn't married and is like, you know, totally different, trendy. It's totally different to who I am. And I was very proud of being able to embody kind of that different self for different publications. And I'm still proud of that because I was scrappy and I made a name for myself. (laughs) But I'm also, you know, nowadays we speak so much about bringing your full self to work. And we spoke a little bit earlier about being understood. And when you're not bringing your full self, you're losing so much. And the world is losing because they are not enjoying or the full or the full, you know, whoever it it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, like what you described I feel it's very similar to me working on a character on a role right. for a play. Right? So Which it's is legitimate. Like, it's just like not yeah. you. Yeah. It's not you. But it's not your personal blog. So let's say if this was if this were your personal blog and you'd be like with a different right. in a different style than your own, I'd be like, Okay. You know, That's what are you- in different stages
1: of your life you try to find out who it, what does it mean to be full yourself? Because it's different when you're a mother of two when you're 40 something or 30 something when you you know when you're a manager it's it's a difference like for me for example shutting down a a, a startup and starting a new one if I tried to write exactly or to do this podcast exactly in the voice that I had three years ago it Mm. would be almost as much pretending (laughs) or as like inhabiting a character as it was, you know, when you were acting or when I was writing for, for Cosmo Magazine, for example,
0: right? Does that make sense? I think, exactly, absolutely. And I think, you know, that what that tells me is like, you know, or reminds me of is that sometimes we try to sound like what we think people expect of us to sound like, right? We have yeah. this, like this idea that people want to hear this. People want to hear this chedva or this Hadar. And, uh, it is a part of you that you just saw that people respond very well to. It doesn't have to mm. be foreign to you. It's part of you that was
1: completely legit, completely natural and authentic. It's just like you get that positive reinforcement from outside that this is the part people kind of gravitate towards and then you start kind of muting the other parts. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think awareness is important, like how much of it you're doing just to get attraction or to communicate with that audience. I think writing is different because you are writing mm-hmm. for the people reading it rather than you communicating, especially if you write for other people, like in comparison to just like, you know, owning the the the, the brand tone of voice versus your own tone of voice. Yeah. And I think permission, permission to speak ultimately is... Like knowing what feels you, you know, like what 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 doesn't feel like I'm, I'm moving away, I'm saying things in a way that like I think people expect to hear, yet I don't feel like, I don't believe myself. You know, when we feel yeah. that, it's a, it's, it's a matter of like, okay, let's ask the right questions and let's see what is holding me back from doing this. Now, again, like when speaking a second language, sometimes it's, oh, it's the grammar. Oh, I don't have enough words. Oh, I don't have this, this and that. But it's interesting because sometimes we don't communicate with this vast vocabulary in our first language, yet we feel expressive and authentic. I so actually find that I I kind of communicate with less <laughs> vocabulary yeah. in
1: Hebrew because I just stick to those, like, you know, slang. <laughs> right. Words. And it's like, and, and like people already have that common, they have that commonality. So you don't have to say a lot. So you just like yeah. say that. whatever whatever slang is trendy at, at the moment and you don't have to say much more. Whereas like when you're speaking to people who are, maybe even they do share a language, but they're coming from different subcultures or different locations, you have to like work more and then you sometimes use language more, which is actually pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: I want to say something which is kind of, I don't know if it's even an observation, but it's something that I've read recently and I really loved it. So you're familiar with Jane Eyre, right? And there's like mm-hmm. the, the the mad woman in the attic, right? Mr. Rochester, there is wife. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert from like 200 years ago. And I read recently, and I really want to find it and put it in the show notes, how we all have that mad woman in the attic, or many mm-hmm. of us do have the, that mad woman yeah. in the attic, who's just a part of us. And, yeah. and it's just like really interesting when we speak about the entire world, which is like beyond language, right? Just of communicating and bringing your full self okay so i want to switch gears a little bit Mm -hmm. because one of the things that i really admire about you is the business person and i'm not talking numbers because i don't know but i'm talking more about how your business evolved, how you're building it in terms of team in terms of offerings and i have to say even i like we've known each other for a while but i'm not sure that i know the extent of what you're doing and from what I understand, you started from really, like, teaching people, right, one-on-one or, or, like, online. Can you tell us a little bit more, first of all, what are, like, your offerings? You don't have to, like, tell us about all of them, but how, how is it built right now? What can mm-hmm. people expect? And then also, why did you build it that way? And, like, what's kind of the intent the intent and the intention um, behind that? Behind Like, when you're looking kind of forward, I just saw another job description that you put up. Hmm. What are you thinking about when you're building your team and your offerings, which kind of, of course, reflect each other?
0: So first of all, thank you. And uh, (laughs) second, I think I did not expect to land where I am today. I have a team of you know, eight people who who work full-time with me and then a total of 20 people with coaches and, and you know, people who work part-time in my company. Very grateful for this incredible team. And, and, you know, having a global community has allowed me to hire from within the community. So my team is global. I have team from all around the world, which makes it so interesting and diverse and, and inspiring, really. And I started from teaching one-on-one in my living room. And um, and gradually- As all has-
1: great stories
0: begin. <laughs> yeah, like I needed that extra cash because I was managing a restaurant and I was like, how can I, oh, amazing. How can I pay oh. my rent? Because I was underpaid. So- I just started tutoring and that ended up being a business that brings, you know, like that creates so many jobs and and definitely supports me and my family and which I'm very proud of. But yeah, I started teaching one-on-one and I always wanted to grow. But the paradigm that I was used to is just like, okay, a school, I have one-on-ones and then I'll do groups and then I'll work in companies. But that's it. Like it's me teaching and giving my time for money. And sometimes right. it was more money, right? Like, so I would for a group I would charge more in a company I would charge more but there is also there is always a glass ceiling when that when you of course, sell your time it's like it's right? you only have 24 hours a day and you need to sleep sometimes you need to sleep yes and then I became a mother and I was still working and then I ended up like you know working 10 hours a day teaching 10 hours a day really crazy hours and then you have all the other stuff to do, like marketing and creating content and invoicing and all of that crap that nice. is you do not know that you are you sign up for <laughs> when you start a business. And then okay, so the first step was to hire my first coach and she started coaching one-on-one and I was, I would coach some people and she would coach some people. So that is how I started to grow. In 2019, I created a basic digital course because I started my YouTube channel. I started building an audience. I was still working in companies and, you know, I had a, already a studio in Tel Aviv. I would do private groups, but I wanted a scale and I started yeah. exploring content and kind of like following people in a, and seeing what's really possible. And I told you, I'm very stubborn. I was like, that. I want this, right? So I looked at some businesses. I was like, this is what I want. So I started imitating and following what they did, like how they launch and how they talk about, like how they create their products. I did not have any training in the business, but I started like seeing what I love and I started creating that in my business. And I think what was a game changer for me is that moment when I realized, okay, To be able to do the things that I want, I cannot do it alone. Like, I really need people around me. But I did not make enough money to be able to hire people. But did you
1: already know to kind of communicate even to yourself, what is it that I want to build? How is it different from where I got started?
0: Yes, I wanted to have a digital product. I wanted to have an online community. I wanted to connect people from around the world. Like that was my vision since twenty sixteen. Like I this amazing. is what I want. I want to connect people from around the world. I did not know how to do that. And and you know, I had a YouTube channel, but that was not enough. Just comments on YouTube is not what makes oh, a community, it's, it's community
1: an amazing asset. It's
0: real 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 estate in the digital age, but then you need to actually leverage it somehow. Yes, exactly. So when I started bringing people from my YouTube channel to my website and onto my newsletter, this is where I started to build a community. And then I opened a Facebook group and built the most incredible community for non-native speakers around the world that still exists. It's like we have 26,000 people. We're very strict about like welcoming people, like only people who answer all questions, who are real profiles, all of that. What was a game changer was the fact that I decided to invest in myself by hiring people, even though I did not have like, I did not know exactly if I, this could be sustainable. And so I started hiring a lot of people. I started, I hired like a project manager and then a content developer to help me write content. I wanted to create a program for teachers. So 2019 was the year where I invested in building my team And in 2020, I started growing. I opened a program for teachers. I I had an online course. I started a membership for English learners. And also, I had a school with teachers who teach one on one. And then it was just like I started expanding too much, started creating too much. programs, too many things. I ended up stretching myself too thin and I had to narrow it down, which is something that I've learned, like doing more is not necessarily smarter. Yeah. So I narrowed do it down. Did you
1: feel like you stretched yourself too thin business-wise, the business was lacking focus, or were you starting to feel some
0: burnout or just like kind of lack of, of focus as Hadar? Both. I think both. Like for definitely me, I created a membership for teachers where I had to create a lot of content every single month. It's insane. Like before creating a membership, you have to know if you have the capacity to do that. And I did for a year and then it started becoming also my business because I was launching my my signature program and I did not even have the capacity or the time to launch my other programs like my teacher's program. So I ended up not opening doors not bringing in new people, so it became less profitable. So it's both. I think strategy is really important and planning. I don't regret anything because I've learned so much from it. That and was your learned, learning curve. Exactly. That was my lesson. It was, and, and it was incredible. The community was incredible. And I ended up bringing in teachers who are now my coaches. So I oh, really amazing. That that what was, yeah, you that of allow you
1: to grow. Yeah, what helped you kind of catch yourself? Like, what was kind of the point where you said, like, hey, hey, wait a minute. Like, it's not just that I'm tired. It's not just that I I can't get to doing those things. I really need to sit down and, like, decide, like, what am I continuing to do? If I'm continuing to do this, what resources should I bring in? Like, how how did that look for you? Kind of internally like
0: that's yes. that's realization so closing the teachers membership i i knew that i should do it like six months before i actually closed it and this is a big oh, lesson i relate so for- much oh my god <laughs> Yeah. so there like we you. know what we were supposed to do and then we talk ourselves it's out of it so and then we're like
1: this is what Because do. it's just like you said so about hard. the imposter syndrome, it's also you're like, Maybe you're just whining. Maybe like everyone can yeah. do it except for you. I need maybe to I can just figure
0: just- it out. I need yeah. to use my resources differently. And you're stubborn, and
1: then, which is like what served yeah. you all those years. So maybe that will serve you if you now if you just push hard
0: enough. Maybe you can get work, right? No, but we got to listen to our gut feeling because it like to your question, it's very simple. I lost the joy, right? I was not enjoying mm. it
1: anymore. And
0: I know, then like, I love what Thank I do. Thank you for I being so vulnerable. <laughs> no, really. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say that like out loud because I, I don't feel it's fair for my students and my, you know, the, like the, the students that I've had and I love them so dearly and I keep supporting them till this day, but I stopped enjoying doing it. And it's not fair for them. It's not fair for my team. It's not, and it's not fair for me. And I had a huge relief when I once I said, "That's it. It's gone." Sometimes you dry up from within. I think we have this kind of legend of like,
1: if you keep like doing what you love, you it will just like refill, right? That's this spring, no. yeah, inside you. But it doesn't. It's like actually possible
0: to dry it up, yeah. very easily. <laughs> And this is where strategy comes in because like, first of all, infrastructure, like you have to have the team, you have to have the processes, you have to have the systems if you grow, because if you don't, then you'll end up working a lot harder and you'll end up burning, getting burnt and out. And
1: even, even not for your own good, even for the business's lo- longevity, not that your own good shouldn't yeah. be important enough, by the way, but just for for longevity, you've built something so amazing, it
0: should enjoy a successful long life, right? Yeah. And, and also like, I think again, when your business focuses on so many things, I think it's confusing for your audience. What ended up happening as soon as I closed the teachers program, I was able to recreate or create a new course, which is now my signature program. And I'm so proud of, and it's like 10 times better than the previous oh. course. And I would not have been po- able to do that had I not closed my membership. So, and that is my biggest revenue generator. Now, which is, you oh, know, wow. which ended up being a very, very wise business decision as well. Amazing.
1: Okay, so I want to be respectful of your time, but I do want to kind of quickly ask you about your advocacy and activism, which, if I'm not mistaken, grew from you working with such a, a global team and a global community. And I've read about it recently with the, the crisis in the war in the Ukraine, but uh, I would love to hear more from you and what are you doing if listeners can
0: support it in any way so yes i think that giving back is a huge part of the work that we do so we always contribute back whether it's by giving offering scholarships to people or women in particular in developing countries that cannot afford it and they want to advance or when there are because i work with a global community there's always a crisis somewhere around the world And we are a global community. So we really try, like part of the work that we do is to be there for each other, to create an empowering community. Uh, So we've had a lot of fundraisers from within the community for individual people. And recently Mm -hmm. with the war in Ukraine, I personally have a team member from Ukraine and from Russia. It was very challenging at the beginning. I have a lot of followers and students from Russia and Ukraine. And whenever there is a conflict, it's very important for me to take a stance, even though I know I'm losing followers and losing, you know, people, but it's, it's just like, you're, you're acting on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I feel that everything's political and I cannot support a global audience and say, you're all equal. And then also not talk about places where, where they experience, you know, horrors like they do in Ukraine. Right. Well, first of all, I've always had this education for education program where I offer teachers scholarships or mentorship versus, like, and an in, in return, they support other students. So that is one way wow. of us giving back. And specifically in Ukraine, what we did is we support teachers from Ukraine. So we've had over 100 teachers apply, and we either provide them work within our programs. Or we connect them with students who want to learn with Ukrainian teachers. So we just make that connection, and that we were is able so to provide amazing and important for over eighty teachers from Ukraine. We were able to provide them with work after they lost their jobs. So this has been really, really. I love
1: this because that's not like charity. You're you're just connecting good people to good work, and yeah. you're enabling them to to maintain some sort of normalcy and and yeah. work within
0: the horrible upheaval. Yeah, people don't just want to get money. They want to work for their money. They just want work. So now they can support themselves and their families for a month or more. So that was very challenging, but we ended up doing this and we're very happy with the results.
1: That is incredible, Adar. So I'm I'm guessing I don't need to even ask you about purpose and what Mm -hmm. you're doing, but if you do want to talk about it for a few, say a few words about it, then you're definitely welcome.
0: So, I think like my purpose or one of my values is really to serve and to nurture. Like, and I think what going back to what you said at the beginning is to give people this feeling that they're seen and heard. And for me, you know, to be able to uh, give them the tools to express themselves so that they are seen, so that they are heard, it's the biggest reward ever. You know, just before we met for this podcast, I had a coaching session, and the last hot seat that I had with a student is with a woman named Sarah. She's from from Latin America. She's been living in the U.S. for 14 years. And she started this conversation and she said, this is Mother's Day. And I knew I'm going to have a hot seat with you because I wanted to say this is my time. I've been living in the U.S. for 14 years and I've never learned English the way I am now. And wow. I've never felt so joyful about English the way I am now, and oh, I know that wow. this is my time, and I deserve it. And you know, for Mother's Day, that's the gift I'm giving myself today, and that's it. That's all I need. This is my purpose. This is so, so
1: beautiful, I and mean, it's such a worthy cause and purpose.
0: Congrats, Adar, on everything
1: that you're doing, and all the lives that you're touching. I'm so mm-hmm. inspired by you. Uh, listeners, I don't know about you, but I'm going to have a very big thing <laughs> after this mm-hmm. recording. You can find Adar and uh, the Accents Way in com. Adar, is there any? other place, Instagram,
0: YouTube, where, where would you want our
1: listeners to go to find more about you and your business?
0: Well, my website. And if you're a podcast listener, then you can go tune into the Influency podcast on your favorite platform. And uh, right now my favorite platform is actually Instagram because I get to be personal and I share content every day at hadar.accentsway. So you're invited. Amazing. Happy Mother's Day, Adar, and happy new week. Happy
1: Mother's Day.
0: <laughs> Thank you so
1: much for making time for this. I so appreciate you and everything that you do.
0: Thank you so, so much for this great conversation.
1: Thank you for listening to Looks Like Work. You can find resources, links, and, of course, the episode show notes at roomsandwords.com. That's rooms, like a room, and words, and like an com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I really, really hope that you like my newsletter too. My newsletter is something that I send out every week, and I share thoughts, links, books, and just other things that I find thought-provoking, interesting, somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here, or sometimes just joyously distracting. Again, the newsletter is sent out every week and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com and I really hope to see you there and of course to see you here next week. Have a good one!